0: So, uh, speaking of Telic portion, uh, we got a kind of a bigger section. So, um, gonna try and move quick. Hang in there. Hopefully, I don't lose you. Um, but we're in Acts 23, and just as a, a little bit of a recap, because we're gonna kind of jump right in to the middle of where we're at. Paul is in Jerusalem right now. He has been traveling to Jerusalem. It took him a while, and the Holy Spirit kept warning him through people, you're going to see persecution, you're going to get chained, you're going to get arrested, you're going to be persecuted. And it kept coming, and he finally got to Jerusalem, he was persecuted, he was chained, and then he was rescued by Lysias, who is the commander in Jerusalem, rescued, and then put before the council, because he was like, why are they accusing this guy? And then... (laughs) Paul sort of throws this little grenade in there about the resurrection because he sees that there's Sadducees and Pharisees and then the Pharisees say, we're not accusing Paul anymore. And then they just start fighting, like literally fisticuffs, Sadducees versus Pharisees. Huge riot ensues. Lysias grabs Paul and then locks him up, keeps him out. And then what happens from there is then there's this band of people More than 40 people who swear they're not going to eat or drink anything till they kill Paul. And so Lysias hears about this, so he grabs Paul, and he's about to send him to Caesarea. That's where we find ourselves. Acts chapter 23, verse 23. It says, "...and he called for two centurions, saying, Prepare two hundred soldiers, seventy horsemen, and two hundred spearmen to go to Caesarea at the third hour of the night." and provide mounts to set Paul on and bring him safely to Felix the governor. So again, this is an army set aside by Titius to protect Paul, one man that the Jews are trying to kill. He's trying to get him out of Jerusalem, so he sends him to this governor named Felix. Now, the name of tonight's sermon is Paul before Felix. We're going to talk a lot about Felix. So before we get into the rest of the text, we're going to talk about And answer the question, who is Felix the governor? So real quick, I'll run through some stuff we know about him through history outside of the Bible. He is that classic Hollywood would love this guy from slave to royalty. Okay. That's his story. He was, they called him a freedman, which means he was a slave. He became free and he worked his way up. Now he's a governor, but he's married to royalty. So this, In fact, everyone surrounding Felix, like, this is the type of group of people and the type of person that Hollywood would make movies about. Super interesting person, super interesting group of people. This guy was very cruel and licentious in every way. He was a hedonist by every account. Okay, so he was just... uh, he, He did whatever he wanted however he wanted, he said whatever he wanted, whenever he wanted. In uh, a couple years from now, he's actually going to be removed as governor um, and charged with inciting riots just so he can violently stop those riots and then plunder the people who he's supposed to be governing. So he's going to be removed from his position, and the only reason he's not punished, and typically that type of governor would be punished by death, the only reason he's not punished is because his brother, who got him into politics in the first place, uh, he has a very close relationship with the emperor Nero at the time, and so he talks Nero into letting his brother go and not be punished. So at this point in Felix's life, in chapter 23 of Acts, he's on his second marriage, okay? He's Throughout his life, he's married a total of three times. But right now, in Acts chapter 23, he's on his second wife. And we're also going to meet her tonight. Her name is Drusilla. Okay, now, a little bit about Drusilla. Drusilla was a Jew, and Felix actually seduced her away from her first husband uh, by tricking her with a fake magician. So he pays this guy to pretend to be a magician and trick her, and he says like oh if you marry this Felix guy he's going to give you your all your wildest dreams so she leaves her faith she's a practicing Jew at the time she apostates from Judaism she leaves her faith and her husband and she goes and marries this Felix guy and they've been living this very again licentious life ever since very grandiose all the comforts of kings and queens doing whatever they want uh, this Drusilla is actually the daughter of Herod Agrippa. You guys remember meeting Agrippa a little earlier in Acts? This is the guy, the king, who killed the apostle James, the brother of John. And right after that, he seeks to kill Peter. Okay? He, he fails at killing Peter because an angel sets Peter free. Right, And he gets out. Shortly after that, Agrippa goes to this big event. He's hailed as a god. right? The voice of a god, not of a king. And he's hailed. A, an angel strikes him. And uh, shortly after, he dies by uh, worms. Um, yeah. So that's Agrippa. This is Drusilla's father. Also, at this point, in Acts 23 and 24, we're going to get into Drusilla. She's about... 16 years old, okay? About 16 years old. She's already on her second marriage. Uh, she's living. Don't feel too bad for her because it's not like she's not getting what she wants. She chose to marry Felix. She uh, rebelled against her family. She left her faith. She made a lot of hedonistic choices and continues to. Again, by every account, both of these people, both Felix and Drusilla, together, were throwing these crazy parties. Felix is about 45 to 55. And she's 16, and they're just doing whatever pleases them. So, Lysias, the commander in Jerusalem, he's trying to protect Paul. So he's getting him out of Jerusalem and sending him to this Felix in Caesarea. Let's pick it up in verse 25 of 23. He, this is Lysias, wrote a letter in the following manner. Claudius Lysias, to the most excellent governor Felix, greetings. This man was seized by the Jews and was about to be killed by them. Coming with the troops, I rescued him, having learned that he was a Roman. And when I wanted to know the reason they accused him, I brought him before their council. I found out that he was accused concerning questions of their law, but had nothing charged against him deserving of death or chains. And when it was told to me that this Jew... uh, Sorry, that the Jews... (laughs) <laughs> Not this Jew. When it was told to me that the Jews lie in wait for the man, I sent him immediately to you and also commanded his accusers to state before you the charges against him. Farewell. Then the soldiers, as they were commanded, took Paul and brought him to Antipatris. Okay, this is sort of almost about a little farther than halfway to Caesarea. The next day, they left the horsemen. Okay, So all the soldiers walked more than halfway to Caesarea. Then they turned back, and they go back to Jerusalem. But the horsemen take Paul on. The next day, they left the horsemen to go with him and return to the barracks. When they came to Caesarea and had delivered the letter to the governor, they also presented Paul to him. And when the governor had read it, he asked what province he was from, And when he understood that he was from Cilicia, which is where Paul is from, he's from Tarsus, which is in Cilicia, he's probably just asking to see if it's in his jurisdiction, he finds out it is, so he continues, he said, I will hear you when your accusers have come, this is the right to face your accusers, we have that in our law also, I think we probably got that from the Romans, Uh, and he commanded him to be kept in Herod's Praetorium, okay, Do you remember what we've been talking about in the last few weeks? We've been talking about how God has his hand on his people, even through the darkest times. Sometimes he protects him in those dark times. Sometimes he doesn't. We don't always know why, but we have to trust in the love and goodness of God in those times. But ultimately, God's the weaver at the loom. He, he weaves even the darkest parts of our lives into a beautiful tapestry. We don't know always what's going on behind the scenes, but we, we trust in God. And here we see that God's hand is on Paul in some kind of cool ways. Um, Herod's Praetorium is, <laughs> quite literally, it's the king's vacation house. When, when King Agrippa comes to Caesarea, mm-hmm. that's his spot. Uh, we would call it a palace today. It is beachfront property. Caesarea was right on the sea, and that praetorium was literally like built into the sea. Beachfront property, ocean views that you can't even imagine, right on the Mediterranean, and all the comforts of a king. That's where Felix says, "You know what, Paul? Why don't you go stay in the king's palace?" So I'm not saying Paul's on vacation. Okay, he is certainly not. But this is also not what he was expecting, okay? Remember, he's recently gone through a massive beating, and that's probably why Felix is kind of like, ooh, you don't look so good, like, go stay someplace comfortable. It sounds like you were, like Lysias is saying, it sounds like you were wrong, so, like, we don't want to upset a Roman because you guys, you could get us in trouble because of the riots that started because of you. Uh, So he might be trying to just, like, play nice with Paul, go stay in this really comfortable spot. But don't get it wrong Paul has suffered the Holy Spirit warned that he would suffer and he got it bad the people who he has the biggest heart for the Jews he wants to death for them to love Jesus and instead they attack him and try to kill him and they it's the beating of his life uh, Paul is late 50s early 60, 60s at this point he's not a young buck and he's taken a lot of beatings more beatings I mean it really it wears on you at that age and uh, he suffered, and he, he has, has certainly is in the middle of a trial, right? He's, he's literally, yeah, he's getting this nice place to stay, but he is in chains. He is, he is in chains, that is. He is still uh, under arrest, right? The past couple of weeks, though, they've been some of the hardest in Paul's life. The past couple of weeks in Paul's life have been leading up to the Holy Spirit warning through people, hey, you're gonna get persecuted, it's gonna be rough. He says, I know, but I'm willing to even die for the name of Jesus. He goes, and then he gets the beating of his life in Jerusalem. So, so the hardest weeks of his life just before this. So let me say that sometimes God wants to prepare us for really rough times, but sometimes along the way, he'll give you some good stuff, some some comfort, some, some joy, within the midst of some trials. This is not always the case. Sometimes it's really dark and and you can't see the good anywhere, but typically God will kind of give you these cool little nuggets, these cool little gifts uh, within some hard stuff. Personally, Annie and I, uh, when we left Columbus or when we were living in Columbus, we had no intention ever to move back to California or move back to Long Beach. We loved it here, but It was not something that we thought would ever happen. We didn't think we could afford it. It was never something on our radar. Well, eventually we heard pretty clearly that God did want us to move back here. And when we did, we honestly had to mourn some of the comforts that we were preparing for. We were looking to start laying down some roots. We were saving up for a house. We were starting to think about kids. Our life was starting to be very predictable in Columbus. And God says... I want you to go to Long Beach. So here we are. And it was honestly really hard. We had to mourn the idea of owning a house. We never thought we would. We never thought that we would be able to do a lot of the things that we had been planning to do with our lives. Obviously, God has given us abundant blessings. And, and what he told us was, "You're gonna, life's gonna be tough. It's not gonna be as easy as if you were to stay in Columbus. But it's going to be more fruitful. So that was our calling to Long Beach. And I will say, it is true. The years leading up to now, the le- the years leading up to buying our house, were some of the hardest in our marriages, some of the hardest in our lives. We, we went through and-, and saw a lot of stuff that was not comfortable. But God still showed up in some cool ways and gave us some blessings that we had given up on. So sometimes God gives us these warnings and he gives us these things to prepare our hearts for the worst And it is the worst, but sometimes he'll still bless us with some really amazing blessings, and we need to thank him and praise him for his goodness in those times. Now again, Paul's in the middle of it. He still has a lot of suffering yet to come. Jesus had already told him, hey, just like you ministered to Jerusalem, you're going to minister the same way in Rome. So he knows there's more suffering coming, and he knows it's coming. But at this moment, at this time, God has some cool blessings for Paul in a way that he didn't see and and for sure did not expect. Continuing with our story in verse 1 of chapter 24, it says, Now after five days, so Paul is in the praetorium for five days, Ananias the high priest came down with the elders and a certain orator named Tertullus. These gave evidence to the governor against Paul. The NESB, instead of evidence, uses the word charges. This is more likely what they were bringing to Felix because they didn't have any evidence because Paul didn't do anything wrong. Verse 2 And when he was called upon, Tertullus began his accusation. There's really what he's bringing, uh, saying, Seeing that through you we enjoy great peace and prosperity is being brought to this nation by your foresight, we accept it always. And in all places, most noble Felix, with all thankfulness. Now, let me just say real quick, there's a difference between respect and flattery, okay? None of what Tertullus just said is is true. Under Felix, once Felix took power as governor, there was not peace, there was not prosperity, except for those who were bribing Felix and... Gaining prosperity through usury and even crime. Crime ran, ran rampant under Felix as governor, and he is not noble. Okay, all of history tells us that, that that's the case. That being said, flattery is not always a lie, but if someone is saying really nice stuff that is a lie, that's flattery. <laughs> it's kind of like a square rectangle thing, right? A, a, a rectangle is a square, but a square is not always a rectangle, it's the same with flattery, okay? It's not always a lie, but if someone's saying really nice stuff to you, and you know it's a lie, or really nice stuff to someone else, and you know it's a lie, that's flattery, okay? Also, some people really love being flattered, okay? This Felix, he knows that this guy's flattering him, and a lot of time, you know you're being flattered. Some people are like, yeah, they eat it up. Oh, man, yeah, just keep saying nice stuff to me. Like, even if they know that the other person wants something from them, they just like hearing nice things being said about them. But a wise person needs to beware of flattery. Okay, this is a theme throughout the Bible. Because typically, if you're being flattered, you're being deceived. That's typically what's going on. If you're being flattered, if someone is flattering you, it's because they either are deceiving you or they're going to deceive you or they're already deceiving you or they're they're doing things behind your back but they want you to think that you're real nice. So if you're being flattered, typically it's because you're being deceived. Verse 4. Nevertheless, not to be tedious to you any further, this is still Tertullus speaking to Felix, I beg you to hear... By your courtesy, keeping the flattery going, a few words from us. For we have found this man a plague, a creator of dissension among all the Jews throughout the world, and a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. He even tried to profane the temple, and we seized him and wanted to judge him according to our law. But the commander Lysias came by and with great violence took him out of our hands, commanding his accusers to come to you. By examining him yourself, you may ascertain all these things of which we accuse him. And the Jews also assented, maintaining that these things were so. Tertullus is trying to throw Lysias under the bus. And so this whole crowd comes with Tertullus and Ananias, the high priest at the time, and they're all chanting like, yeah, that's how it was. Yeah, that's what's going on. Yes, you weren't even there. And, and <laughs> in this whole thing, I know, right? He, he's like throwing Lysias under the bus. And he said that by great violence, Lysias came and took Paul from us. Now, they were the ones being violent against Paul. The whole city, it says, got wound up. And this angry mob attacked Paul. They're kicking him. They're hitting him. They're throwing things at him. They're trying to kill him. And Lysias, yeah, maybe he used violence, but he went in to save an innocent man. So this is a, a false accusation coming to Paul. And again, remember that Paul... This is just not even two weeks after this thing happened. And, and imagine what Paul would have looked like after a beating up, up like that. An angry mob the size of a city. Everyone focused in on and trying to kill Paul. Paul looked gnarly. Okay? And out of the entire crowd, who's like, yeah! Paul's the bad guy! Yeah! That's what happened! Violence was done against us! Out of that whole crowd, there's only one what? guy... Who looks like violence was done against him, and that's Paul. So even anybody could have figured out, like, hmm, nice, clean, comfortable looking. That guy's looking messed up. Like <laughs> something's not adding up here. It doesn't take a super wise person to figure that out. Verse ten. The microphone is handed to the apostle Paul. Then Paul, after the governor had nodded to him to speak, answered, "Inasmuch as." I know you have been for many years a judge of this nation. I do more cheerfully answer for myself. Short, sweet, respectful. He he is having some niceties in there, but that's the way you're supposed to speak to somebody who is in power, who, who does have authority over you, right? But it's short, it's sweet, it's respectful. He doesn't lie and say how gracious Felix is and how wonderful he must be. Uh, He just says, you're the judge, and and, and I hear you've been the judge for quite some time. And and so I'm happy to to speak to you on this. He's so smart. (laughs)
1: He's so smart.
0: Yeah, I love it. I love it. Verse 11. Because you may ascertain that... (laughs) It is no more than twelve days since I went up to Jerusalem to worship, and they neither found me in the temple disputing with anyone or inciting the crowd, either in the synagogues or in the city, nor can they prove the things of which they now accuse me. But this I confess to you, that according to the way, which they call a sect, so I worship the God of my fathers, believing all the things which are written in the law and the prophets. I have hope in God. "...which they themselves also accept that there will be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and of the unjust." Paul is mixing in a little bit of preaching in his defense here. This being so, I myself always strive to have a conscience without offense toward God and men. Now, after many years, I came to bring alms and offerings to my nation... In the midst of which, some Jews from Asia found me purified in the temple, neither with a mob nor with tumult. They ought to have been here before you to object if they had anything against me. Or else let those who are here themselves say if they have found any wrongdoing in me while I stood before the council. Unless it is this one statement which I cried out, standing among them, concerning the resurrection of the dead, I am being judged... By you this day. This is the last time he stood in in front of the Sanhedrin when Tysias was trying to figure out what's going on. This is the one thing that Paul said that made the Sadducees and the Pharisees start fighting one another. Now, in that defense that Paul just gave, he said a ton and he he said it very quickly. He did not say a lot of words, but he, he said a lot in those few words. Not with great swelling words of emptiness and trying to flatter and puff this guy up. But he's just like, here's what happened. I'm going to preach to you a little bit. And also, here's what else happened. <laughs> um, he, he simply says, there's no proof of what they're saying. And here again, just as he said in front of the Sanhedrin when he's talking to Tysias, there's no one bearing witness against me. He, he calls them out. If there was somebody who want, wants to bear witness, if I did anybody wrong, they should be objecting to me here. But they just bring these sort of vague... Accusations. Paul continues, and he says, "I was there to submit to them. Actually, I was there to worship God. I was purified, right? If you remember, he was in the synagogue, doing the Jewish custom of the Nazarite vow. So he shaved his head. He was there to present his his sacrifice. When they attacked him, in submission to the very people who attacked him, and he's there to pay alms. This is like tithes and offerings. He's there to worship God with his money." And that's what we are called to do as well. So Paul is saying, I hadn't been to Jerusalem in a while. I came to bring my offerings to God. I was there to worship him. I was there to worship him indeed and with my money and to be submissive to the leaders. That's when I got attacked. He was not arguing or causing a scene at all. He says that there was no tumult. I wasn't there with a group of people causing a mob or to, to try and, you know, do anything against the the temple, which is what they're accusing me of. I was there to worship like everybody else was there to worship. He also references that it's only been 12 days. You may ascertain, you can imagine him pointing to his shaved head. Look, I, I am the evidence. I was there to take this vow, you know, and look at my face. I am the living evidence. It hasn't even been 12 days since I went there merely to worship and look at what I look like. He also throws out there this thing about the resurrection, the resurrection, and this is important for a couple of reasons. One, it's important because it's an opportunity to witness. Again, he's talking about the resurrection of the dead for the just and for the unjust. Okay, and that's going to come into play a little bit later. But it's also important because the majority of the people were Pharisees. Okay, and the majority of them. They agree with that. They, they agree that there's a resurrection, and they agree about the angel and the spirit, right? And that is what caused the fight between the Sadducees and the Pharisees. So Paul's basically saying, I didn't cause the riot. I, I did say this one thing, but then they started attacking each other. I, I was out of it. And they started trying to attack and, and kill me. He said, I didn't start the fight. I said one phrase, and, and everything erupted. Because, again, a riot like that in Rome was very frowned upon and it was punishable by death you don't cause riots you don't cause a scene it's supposed to be a peaceable town so he's kind of saying like i said one thing but i did not cause this riot uh, it's a pretty good defense that paul gives again like aaron pointed out he's very wise in how he presents himself and his defense is very clear again it's very factual it's not over the top he's not trying to flatter anybody he just says hey i respect you and then here's my defense So what is Felix going to do with this? Verse 22. But when Felix heard these things, having more accurate knowledge of the way, he adjourned the proceedings and said, When Lysias, the commander, comes down, I will make my decision on your case. Now, a few things real quick here. The Jews have now sort of, again, thrown Lysias under the bus. They're, They're trying to accuse Lysias, who's not there. And Felix has already received the letter. He knows Lysias's side of the story, but he's now going to rope. All right, you, you accused him. Everybody has the right to face their accusers. I'm going to bring him in on this because he has a different perspective than you Jews who are bringing your accusation. Number two, notice that Felix, he knows quite a bit about the way. How to say he has a more accurate knowledge of the way. I'm wondering if that's why Tertullus did not call it the way, or he did not call it Christianity. Maybe he knows Felix, knows a little bit about this topic. He calls it a sect of the Nazarenes, which, by the way, this is the first time that it's called that. And later the Jews will grab onto that, and that's what they're going to start calling Christians. Because the way... Right There's all kinds of scriptures in the Old Testament speaking of the way of God, the way of righteousness, the, the way that the, the righteous should walk, the way of the wise. Jesus comes and says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one gets to the Father but through me. Okay, So he is the way. He fulfills all of those scriptures talking about the way. Also, the word Christianity, that they, they don't want to call Christians Christians because it has the name Christ in it which means anointed ones. Kind of a cool little side point is that we receive the anointing of Christ when we have faith in everything that Jesus did and everything who, who he is. He is the anointed one, but we step into that anointing when we have faith in him. So maybe he didn't want Paul to be associated with the way or with Christians because he knows Felix knows a bit about this. Maybe he is curious about it, which we're, going to see next. Verse 23. So he, this is Felix, commanded the centurion to keep Paul and let him have liberty and told him not to forbid any of his friends to provide for or visit him. So presumably, Paul continues to stay in Herod's praetorium, has kind of a, a cushy spot for the time being. But in addition to that, Felix also lets Paul see friends and and have them come and uh what did it say provide for and visit him this is probably first and foremost for paul's health do you guys remember what the profession of our writer luke what his profession is a doctor? he's a doctor he is probably paul's personal physician which is really useful in a time like now where Paul gets whipped and beaten and kicked and they go, and then Luke goes and he can tend to his wounds. Again, Paul's middle-aged now and uh, he, he could use some help. So that's probably why Felix is like, hey, don't forbid anybody to come see him. But Paul is also, you know he's ministering to people in the praetorium. Like, oh, friends can come? All right, cool. Bible study. We also know that during this time, Paul is writing a lot of the letters that we read in the New Testament, so he's not just sitting around cushy, cushy, just like soaking up the sun. He's probably, you know, taking in some sea air and trying to heal himself. But he's also like, okay, well, I'm going to be useful. Like, friends can come see me, sweet Bible study. You know, oh, I've got some some free time. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna write a letter to the Corinthians, or I'm gonna write a letter to the Galatians. He, he's continuing to be active in his calling. Verse 24. And after some days, when Felix came with his wife Drusilla, okay, here they are, who was Jewish, he sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith of Christ. Amazing. He knew something about the way, but he wanted to learn more. Verse 25. Now, as he reasoned about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come. Okay, what sermon do you give to a hedonist who maybe knows a little bit? Like, where do you start? What do you teach uh, a hedonist specifically who's asking to know more about Jesus? Paul doesn't shy away from the tough stuff. He, he he goes very direct with his sermon. But this is not a new sermon. This is the core of Christianity. Right? When Jesus came, he, he said, woe to you Pharisees. You know, you, you tithe even on, on cumin and, and anise, right? He's saying you, you tithe out of, out of your seasoning, right? Yep. Like, you buy a bag of rice, you take 10% of that rice and you tithe it. You know? You buy a little piece of, you know, Cajun seasoning, Anthony. You take 10% of that Cajun seasoning and you, and you give it to God. You give it to the synagogue, right? Jesus says you're, you're tithing your, your spices, but you've you've gone away from the weightier matters of the law, and that is mercy, justice, and faith. This is a massive theme throughout all of scripture. These are super important, and these are the three things that people leave the faith for. They they, they walk away from God because they, they don't like his justice, or they don't like his mercy, or they just don't want to have faith in God. They don't... They, they don't want to wait on the Lord, right? They don't trust in God. They, they, they lose trust in God. They, they they forsake God. But it's typically one of those three things. They either get impatient, and so they don't want to be faithful anymore. They don't like God's mercy, or they, or they don't like God's justice. So Paul, he, he writes in Romans that through faith we're granted access into God's grace. That's Romans 5. Now, this grace, this mercy of God that he gives us, Paul says multiple times in Romans, it's the righteousness of Christ. That's what we receive when we believe on Jesus and everything he is. That's what we receive. The very righteousness of Christ. The righteousness of God is attributed to us when we have faith in Jesus. Now, the book of James, it says that faith without works is dead. Okay. This is consistent with everything that Jesus and Paul taught too. True faith is continual. It is not a one time, I asked Jesus into my life and now I can do whatever I want. You know, or or uh, sort of an appalling phrase to me, uh, Christian hedonism. Ah, uh, uh, two words that should not be put together. True faith is continual faith. It's believing and walking in the Spirit, putting Every thought into submission to Christ. Thirdly, Jesus speaks in Matthew 25 about separating the sheep and the goats. Okay, And in this passage, he's speaking of the final judgment. The judgment which is to come, which is what Paul is talking about here with Felix and Drusilla. And he says that the wicked ones, the ones who mistreat those in need, he will send them into everlasting punishment. But the righteous, those who care for those in need, uh, those will be taken to everlasting life. And and Paul echoes that here uh, in verses 15 and 16. I have hope in God that they themselves also accept that there will be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and the unjust, this being so, I myself always strive to have a good conscience without offense toward God and men. Paul says, "Because there's a judgment to come, I strive because I'm going to be judged." Now, now some people say, "Well, your works don't matter at all. It's only about Jesus's." Yes, we receive the righteousness of God, and, and we're seen as righteous. Because we have faith in Jesus. But the Bible says so many places, repeatedly and abundantly, that at the end of everything, everyone will be judged according to what he has done. We will be judged according to our works. Now again, faith in Jesus saves us, but our works Make that faith alive. It fulfills that faith. And those works will be considered by Jesus himself at the end of everything. Okay. So this should make us live differently and treat others differently. This should make us, as Paul says, strive. We're going to be judged for what we do. We need to, we need to strive because of that, even as Christians. That's what Paul just said. Now, God says, when you repent, God says, I forget your sins. The almighty God says, I'm going to forget if you repent. That's amazing. (laughs) That's a miracle. He says, I'm going to cast your sins as far as the east is from the west. Those two never touch. He says, they're going to be infinitely apart from me. Your sins will, if you repent. Okay, but scripture is also very clear that God is just. So those things that you or I do against others, God's gonna deal with us on those things. I don't I don't know what that looks like, but if someone has something against you and you have not gone to them to seek forgiveness, God's gonna He's gonna demand that in the end. If you've wronged somebody and you you've not gone to them and say, Hey, I gotta make this right. God's going to hes gonna make that happen in the end. If you have those unrepentant sins, that's not going to fly with God. And again, I don't know what exactly that looks like, but that's what the Bible says. And that's why Paul says, I know there's a judgment. That's why I strive so that I, I know I can stand in the time of judgment. I, I can walk confidently, as John says, to the throne of mercy. That's why... We strive, But that's also why we repent. That's also why we try and live at peace with everybody. So, what happens when Paul preaches this sermon to Felix and Drusilla? He gives them a choice here. He reasoned with them about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come. Felix was afraid. Now, that's a good start, right? Proverbs says, The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Good, okay, good start. Be afraid. You should be afraid. There's going to be a judgment. You're going to stand in front of Jesus at the end of everything, and you're going to have to answer for everything that you've said and everything that you've done. You should have some fear. But he answered them, right? Felix was afraid and answered, Go away. Bad finish. (laughs) Go away for now. When I have a convenient time, I will call for you this brings to my mind the Athenians who asked Paul to stay and hey we're going to hear more about this Paul why don't you stay and you preach more but remember what Paul said when they said that the next verse says so Paul departed everywhere else in in Acts when people ask Paul to stay he stays but it's interesting in that part it says so he departed because they just wanted to hear more they weren't changing their lives. Felix says the same thing. When it's convenient for me, I'll hear more of what you have to say. This is the mindset of those who say, I believe in God, but... It doesn't matter what comes after that. <laughs> the, the but negates everything before. I believe in God, but... And that means you don't. Okay? These are the people who say, I want to I live a life of sin. I want to live... A hedonistic or life, or, or do whatever I want. I'm, I'm just chilling. I'm just having fun, doing whatever I want, and and maybe you know, on my deathbed, I'll sneak sneak the Jesus prayer in there, and then I'll be able to go to heaven. That's the person that we're dealing with here with Felix. They want to live a life of complete debauchery, and then accept the righteousness of God at the end, right at the last minute, so that they can do whatever they want, and then just like swipe righteousness. It's not how it works. That is no faith whatsoever. It's a dead faith, James says, as we said before. James 2, 19 and 20 says, You believe that there's one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. Okay? That's where Felix is at. He believes, and he's trembling. But James... Continues, But do you want to know, oh foolish man, that faith without works is dead? If you have nothing backing up that faith, if you say, yeah, I believe in God, but you literally do nothing with that faith, it's not faith. It's, it's dead faith. Yeah, you might, in some sort of disconnected way, say, yeah, I, I guess I believe in that. But you do nothing to back it up. You don't have faith in Jesus. You're not abiding in the vine, as Jesus says to do. You're not walking in the spirit, as Paul says to do in Romans 8. Felix says, go away. He was cut to the heart, right? As we've seen throughout Acts, we see that he's convicted and he's afraid and all he had to do is trust in and believe in Jesus, but he rejects him. In doing nothing, in that moment of decision, he rejects Jesus. Go away for now. When I have a convenient time, I will call for you. Meanwhile, he also hoped that money would be given him by Paul, that he might release him. Therefore, he sent for him more often and conversed with him. So he actually had more than one choice. He had multiple opportunities to make this choice, because you know Paul's not just, you know, chatting with him, you know he's witnessing to him every single time. Now, the Bible or history, neither of these give us any indica- indication of repentance for either Felix or for Drusilla. Felix continues in his wickedness. He eventually divorces Drusilla. Drusilla actually dies in Pompeii when Vesuvius erupts. She, she's there with her son and, and they die in that eruption. Felix eventually dies of tuberculosis, as many Romans did, because they were living deba- debaucherously, and, and he, he dies sometime, I think, before Vesuvius erupts. But there's no change. He, he's heard the invitation of Christ. And he says, oh yeah, maybe when it's con- convenient. Maybe later. Finishing off the chapter... But after two years, Porcius Festus succeeded Felix, and Felix, wanting to do the Jews a favor, left Paul bound. This was Paul's ministry for two years. Meeting with Felix, and again, probably writing to a lot of the other churches. That's where he was at. He's under arrest. I mean, even if he's got comfortable place to stay, he's sort of stuck just at the whim of Felix. Oh, it's convenient for me to f- hear you now, you know. And he goes and witnesses to Felix, and Felix ends up kind of like roundaboutly asking for a bribe. For two years. For two years. What's the purpose of witnessing to someone God would know would reject him for two years? Because that's where Paul was at. God still loves us that guy because God still loves them so who does God love in your life who you think isn't worth it who have you told and you're like ah they're never going to believe it also do you have someone in your life who you should seek forgiveness from is there somebody that comes to mind that you're like oh like I did wrong them I need to make that right I need to repent to God because ultimately sin is always against God if you wrong somebody you wronged God first but you need to seek forgiveness from the person you wronged as well you need to repent to God first against you alone have I sinned David says in Psalm 51 okay God is the one who repents you but we need to make it right with those who we've wronged as well And finally, we need to make that decision to follow Jesus. Walk in righteousness. Walk in the way, right? Abide in the vine. Walk in the spirit. However you want to put it. The Bible talks about it a lot. Stay righteous. Walk with Jesus. Walk according to your calling. Live worthy of the calling for which you are called. Over and over, don't delay to do what God has told you to do. And continually walk in the way that God is calling you to do. Let's pray. God, thank you for forgiving us, and more than that, empowering us to forgive others. God, and um, even more than that, asking us to ask forgiveness of those who, who we've done wrong against, God. And empowering us to do those things. Thank you for so many gifts, God. I mean, we, we would be here for days if we were just to thank you for everything that you've done and are doing in our lives, God. So we thank you for your grace, for your mercy. We thank you that uh, you are just and the things that have been done against us. I pray that you help us forgive those who have sinned against us. Um, but ultimately, we also trust in you to have justice in the end. God. So we thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your justice. And God, I I pray that you empower us to walk in your spirit, empower us to grow in faith. We heard your call and we've called back on you and we have faith in you, God, but we know that ultimately it's you, your spirit living in us that empowers us us to, to walk with you, God. So I pray that you uh, reveal your ways to us, reveal your calling to us and help us to be glorifying to you in everything we do and everything we say. I pray that you bless the rest of this evening and bless those who aren't here tonight, whether it be because of busyness or just a rough day or whatever it may be. God, I pray that you will just be with those who wanted to be here and couldn't and bring them peace and speak to them tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.